I don't know. Duck and cover, bitches. Wow. <laughs> I'm always surprising Brett Hi. with my intros. Hi. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> have you Hi, guys, us? gals, non-binary uh, peeps. What's up? Beautiful. We have yes. missed you so much. Oh, my God. We missed you guys. Uh, Hi. I feel like I've been just submerged in everything of life and school and whatnot that everything's hard. Life is hard. I'm Life tired. is hard. Life yeah. is hard. Life is hard. We're all tired. And then you die. There's only two <laughs> things in life that, that happen and that are real and relevant and that's death and taxes. And then you oh, die. Oh, life and death, but oh, yeah. wait, then you die. <laughs> yeah. Death taxes, then you die again because yeah. death is taxes. Ah. Oh, it's tax time now. It uh, is. So yeah, I'm Brie or Brie. And I'm Brett. Hi. Yeah. Hi guys. And if you don't know yet, you're probably like, wait, who is this? What's this podcast? It's been so long. What am I listening to? Dot, dot, dot. This is particularly, that was my robot, I guess. This is dun, particularly dun, dun. dangerous, dangerous situation. situation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. We have our, our special guest joining. It looks like he's, he's attempting to join. Yeah. He's connecting to audio. Oh, nice. Do we hasn't said anything on my end yet. yet? Oh no. Now it says three participants. Yes. Oh, because he's connecting to audio right now. And it says, oh, he doesn't have, which he doesn't need the video. Might so not. Yeah. But yeah, we'll that's see if, totally he's, fine. if he's joining um, on audio. So. so quick announcement for those who haven't seen for now, we are going to be going every other week with our episodes than every week because uh, we still want to make content. We just don't have, unfortunately, just like how our schedule are, we're not able to do one every week and make it feasibly possible without me failing a class. Um, our Brett going insane. So we Hi. decided to just go <laughs> bi-weekly. We're really hoping that by the time summer comes that that'll change, but we'll let you know. Um, it's just a definitely right now, but we yeah. want to make sure that we're still giving content because we love doing this and all three of you enjoyed as well, I assume. <laughs> you One just day. Said all three. I know. Oh, yeah more than three do we know i mean i just assume no one else listens and so that's all three and one day we're gonna have like you know 56 listeners and i'll still say all three we might have 50 listeners i actually 56 plus three yeah we might we might we might have uh a a few less or a few more okay mark's asking me do i connect i'm like yes please yes Yes, please connect (laughs) okay guys we're gonna have a special guest today my friend mark snyder um uh, he is a, a dear friend of my husband, AJ. Um, I can't remember exactly how the two of them met, but it's kind of like a Pennsylvania thing. I think a lot of them live up in Northeast PA and they have multiple connect friend connections. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's how, that's how they kind of met. And then like we've, we've hung out several times since all together. Um, Mark is an, an amazing guy, incredibly generous, um, very, very sweet, um, has, has worked um, in an industry which not a lot of people choose to do so and, um, and therefore has a, a real friendliness um, with, with just anybody off the street. So, okay, so Mark is connected via audio. Mark, can you hear us okay? I, sh- I show him as muted. Let me see if I can unmute that. I believe oh, I'm Mark? Yep, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. you it's a Verizon me? commercial officially. 
Verizon, will you please sponsor us? We just said, can you hear me now? Uh, Sorry, welcome. Mark, we welcome, think we're Mark. really funny. Yes, yes. We were just chatting about how funny you were. Um, Mark, uh, I just introduced you. I said that you were... Um, uh, friends. So I knew you by proxy of, of or by way of, uh, my, my husband, AJ, um, and you two had met before I had met you and, uh, was just singing your praises about how wonderful a guy you are. Um, so Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I, my name is Mark Snyder. Um, I think specifically to this podcast, I was living in Haiti prior to the 2010 Haiti earthquake. Prior to that, it's a long winding road, but um, I was living there. Um, I moved there to live in 2008. I was not there at the time of the earthquake, but I got back immediately after. So January, I believe it was January 18th, I was able to arrive in Haiti and start working right after the earthquake. And then really the path from there is pretty long and drawn out as well. So if that's enough yep. for you for a description. Sure. Absolutely. Also, um, now I know what Brett's going to talk ah! about today. <laughs> that, did, that get, did that give it away? Cats out of the bag. I mean, I'm no, pretty fine. sure it did. You got here with the details of your podcast. When did you start it? So, so Brie and I actually, so you reached out to me. Um, we actually had a brief interlude of like really uh, interesting ideas about starting a YouTube <laughs> channel called Tipsy Tips where we were drunk and gave advice. Um, didn't take all, off many. Ha, did you see it? No, no, but I would take all of your advice. I'm sure. Oh, okay. I was going to say many hangovers ensued. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so that, puking in the toilet <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that didn't work out so well, but then, uh, we, I think it was kind of just like, you know, Bree, Bree's been, in, so we, I moved, we, we moved down here to California and then, um, Bree reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you want to start a weather podcast? And I was like, frick yeah, I love weather. I love, you know, disasters and not in like the sick and twisted way, but I've always just been fascinated with weather. A little and, sick and twisted. We know you, Brett. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, admittedly, just a tad. And <laughs> I just so want to talk about crazy shit that happened. Like, yeah. I was like, I want to talk about disasters. Who can I do this with? And it was like, Brett, right away. I knew <laughs> Me. it'd be a perfect fit. Me. So, yeah. So, that's how we started. And I think it was yeah. probably what? Uh, End of September, maybe? Because yeah. we started recording in October. Oh, before October. We released yeah. our first episodes in October because we released three. And I think we started sometime in September recording and editing Correct. and yeah. like setting up social media and all that. Yeah. And it, she's yeah. been amazing for that. So, yeah, I, I've been the, the lazy one. <laughs> Except like your a... social media posts are on point every Thank time. Thank you. Thank you. I've actually just started doing that and being more active and taking a more active role in social media. So I, I feel good about that. It's, I'm trying. So, so Mark, if you're ever on Facebook, feel free to follow us. We're a particularly dangerous situation on Facebook. Also on Instagram and wherever you listen to Instagram, podcasts. Twitter, <laughs> wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> so are you still there? Did we bore you? I <laughs> I, I mean, he should still be there. Oh, no. We talked marked out. I'm here. Wait, here, let me. I'm here. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I mean, it was, that was my fault. I um I swapped from the hotel's Wi-Fi to my cell phone just because I thought that might be better because you guys were a little broken. It oh, cut off. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm I sorry. A little broken. You cut off when you said, if I'm ever on Facebook. Oh, I said, yeah, yeah. If you're ever on Facebook, please, please check us out. Um, and all of our fans who are listening right now, um, please check us out on Facebook. 
particularly dangerous situation. Um, we are on Instagram. We're also on uh, Twitters. And of course, if you want to send us an email and tell us about some really fun fact or crazy weather or crazy disaster in your neighborhood or hometown, we'd love to hear it as well. Um, Bree, what is our email address again? That is pdangerousituation at gmail.com. That's P like particularly uh, dangerous situation. So pdangerousituation at gmail.com. If you want to get to us, you can also hit us up on that Twitter with the tweet tweet at PDS podcast. And that's the same for that Instagram, which is PDS podcast. You can DM us, D- I guess DM or DM slide up in either of those DMs, private message, whatever they call those cool hip ways to talk about. Okay. Send us a I'm message. I'm back. Sorry. I was picking up rubber <laughs> pieces from a freaking tennis ball from this damn You dog. like how much okay. I just filled in that space with words. Thank you so much. I love all of your words. Uh, okay. So I'm just going to get right into it, guys. Um, okay. Now I'm Sounds just great. back to my mic. So now it's going to sound better. All right. Um, so Mark, I want you to correct me if I've gotten anything wrong or if it sounds like I've gotten anything wrong. Okay. okay? Um, so I'm just going to start off with some basic facts of the earthquake. Um, I have just a couple sources for the earthquake information that I received, of course, worldvision.org, um, Wikipedia, which is always our favorite to go to. And I've used a couple of news sites like CBS and CNN, um, to get some, uh, basic facts and information. So, uh, January 12th, 453 PM, a magnitude 7.0 earthquake hits Haiti on the island of Hispaniola near, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, so Mark, please assist, Leogan. 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 Okay. So Mark, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, speaks Creole and uh, knows uh, the Haitian language, so I suck at this. Oh, that's <laughs> Yes. yes. Um, uh, so it's about 16 miles west of the capital, Port-au-Prince. January 20th, while multiple aftershocks are recorded soon after the initial quake, the U.S. Geological Service reports the strongest aftershock is a 5.9 tremor on January 20th that collapses many of the already damaged buildings. So if you can imagine, there's already damaged uh, infrastructure there. And when an earthquake uh, aftershock, anything higher than a four and a half or five um, hits that same general area, especially if it's a more shallow um, uh, earthquake, it's going to destroy any any standing infrastructure that's already got damage to it. Uh, October, a cholera outbreak begins and spreads rapidly. So I'm giving you like a quick breakdown timeline here. Um, fast facts of the Haiti earthquake here. So estimated 25 or 250,000 people died. Um, at least 300,000 people were injured. 5 million were displaced. Nearly 4,000 schools were damaged or destroyed. At the time of the quake, 70% of the population lived below the poverty line. So this is below the poverty line for Haiti, not America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, more than 16 billion in total aid was allocated by international agencies and private donors to Haiti for 2010 all the way through 2020. Okay. Um, there's some interesting facts here and some definite discrepancies. And Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. To this day, there's still discrepancies on how many died, how many were affected, et cetera, et cetera, right? Because you have the Haitian government versus the U.S. government versus other outsiders coming in to kind of put their input in. That absolutely is true with the discrepancies. And on top of it is um, it's a it's a largely unmonitored country in general with the population. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what goes on is not documented. So right. I think a lot of it, it tends to be hunches though there is statistical manners of, of, of gathering that the information. So that those numbers are, I think are as accurate as anyone can present with any 
with any type of certainty. Okay. Uh, so the registered earthquake, again, 7, 7.0. Um, it's got a high level, level of energy at the point of impact because it occurred 6.2 miles below the surface, which is a shallow depth earthquake. So a lot of them uh, occur a lot deeper or even mm-hmm. just a couple miles deeper can give a less energetic effect as far as earthquakes go um, yeah. because it's closer like, to the surface. So it being like a 7.2, 7 point something, <clears throat> it being higher up kind of was more powerful in a sense or more of a rattle, I'm assuming. Correct. Correct. The yeah. closer to the surface, the the, the harder you're going to feel it. So yeah, the, the added uh, issue in Haiti is yeah. we have the added issue in Haiti where the um, it's coral rock, and so it's rock there. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of of soil on top of it in many of the places, right? And particularly where that oh. ran and where the rock was closer to the surface. So some of the hardest hit areas of Port-au-Prince were the top of the hilltops that were pretty much to that coral rock that it was built on. So you had a place called Fort National, which was one of the most heavily devastated areas. And that's because the the cap of that particular mountain is just straight to coral rock. Like the foundations yeah, is right yeah. into the rock. So just Okay. Crumbles. Yeah, I, I never knew that. Well, and I assumed like because of like the economics of Haiti, you're not going to have as stable of buildings too. And so that's oh, my girl. first thought of destruction. I'll get into that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I'll get into that. My ear All holes right, are ready. My, oh, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So, uh, it's a powerful <laughs> energy and it has a devastating effect at ground level. Okay. The epicenter of the quake was near Port-au-Prince, which is the capital city. Um, it has more than 2 million people in the metropolitan area, um, many of Port-au-Prince's uh, multi-story concrete buildings collapsed in a deadly heap uh, because they were poorly constructed and there are no building codes enforced. So mm-hmm. again, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not really a building code there. There's a lot of what they call shanty towns, correct? So we were talking about poorly constructed buildings is that correct correct yes and i'm and i'm gonna get into more detail with that but like i said correct me if i'm wrong but overall it was like a lot of like quote-unquote shanty towns and like there was no building code so people built Mm -hmm. and that was that it was just left to be i that is that is a quick version and we'll we'll as you said we'll expand on it yeah Mm -hmm. all right so again earthquake occurring at um 4 53 local time tuesday january 12th by January 24th, 52 aftershocks at 4.5 or greater had been recorded. Okay. In my research, I literally wrote in all caps, nope. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't, Christ. I couldn't deal with that. After about 12, I'd be like, cool, I'm cutting out. I can't do this. I can't. Of course, where are you going to go? I mean, they're in Haiti. They're on an island. You know, where are you going to go? You just kind of have, have many do- choices. But it's like, you know, why I, I would have been like one of those people like, why am I putting this cereal back on the counter? It's just going to fall on the fucking floor anyway. You know what I mean? Just give up. Just leave everything on the floor. Um, an estimated 3 million people were affected by this quake. Okay, here we go. So death toll estimates range from 100,000 to about 160,000 uh, to the Haitian government figures, which is mm-hmm. 220,000 
up to 316,000. Although these latter figures are a matter of some dispute. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and is ranked 149th out of 182 countries on the Human Development Index. So they are one oh. of the poorest countries out there. And when they have something that this devastating occurs, they are going to have not only loss of life, but people who are affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government of Haiti estimated that 25 or 250,000 residences and 30,000 commercial buildings had collapsed or were severely damaged. That's a lot. And on yeah. a, small island, a small island, that's a lot of infrastructure that's damaged. Yeah. The earthquake caused major damage in Port-au-Prince. Uh, am I saying this correct, Mark? Jacques Mel? Jacques Mel, yes. Jacques Mel. Jacques Mel. Okay. And other cities in the regions. Uh, notable landmark buildings that were significantly damaged or destroyed include the Presidential Palace, the National Assembly Building, and the Port-au-Prince Cathedral, and the main jail. Among those killed were Archbishop... Bishop, uh, blah, blah, blah. No, start over, Brett. (laughs) Hi, my name is Brina, and I can't talk. Uh, The Archbishop, I can't can't say the Archbishop, Bishop of Port-au-Prince, Joseph Serge Miot. That works. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) An opposition leader, uh, Micah Galliard, um, were the were two of the people who were killed uh, in the earthquake. Uh, the headquarters of the United Nations Stabilization Mission in Haiti, also called Minista, um, located in the capital, collapsed, killing many, including the mission's chief, Haiti Anabi. So um, a good a deal of um, sort of head or leader esque type people um, did pass in this um, in this event. Uh, communication systems, air, land, sea, transport, facilities, hospitals, electrical networks, all of this stuff was heavily, heavily damaged by the earthquake. So it hampered the rescue efforts and it created a lot of confusion over who was in charge. Um, and as we discussed with Mark early on, that leadership there was kind of sort of willy-nilly. Like it was mm-hmm. like, who's in charge of this? Who's in charge of that? It wasn't really very prioritized. So um, there was prioritizing issues with flights and um, relief work, et cetera, et cetera. It's like every, every group project I've ever done. Right. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a college hot mess, okay? Jesus Christ. Port-au-Prince's morgues were overwhelmed with tens of thousands of bodies. These had to be buried in mass graves. Now, I did remember reading an article of um, a voodoo priest that mentioned that this is not the way Haiti does it. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not how it should have been done. It's not the way they do it. But there was no other option at that time. So they just had to, you know, you have to make do. You can't just let bodies just rot in the street. You know, that's a health issue. It's... There's other issues involved. Overflow, like those morgues. There's no way that they can hold that many people. Correct. Um, So let's see. Okay, so a little a little information on the actual physicality of it with regards to um, weather and um, earth, et cetera. So it occurred 25 kilometers or 16 miles west southwest from Port-au-Prince. Mm-hmm. At a depth of actually, so this is 8.1 miles, but 6.2 was actually where the um, epicenter was. And it, crea- it it happened on what they call a blind thrust fault. It means the fault plane terminates before it reaches the Earth's surface. So it's referred to as a blind thrust fault. Um, because of the lack of surface evidence, blind thrust faults are often difficult to detect until they actually rupture. So, um, Hold on, I have some more interesting information on this. Uh, Because of their low dip, thrusts are also difficult to appreciate in mapping. Um, So it's not, again, easy for them to put 
um, on a map saying this is where it occurred, this is what happened, mm-hmm. this is what, yeah, it's just not the easiest thing. It occurred and was associated with the Enrico uh, Plantain Garden Fault System, which runs along the southern side of Hispaniola, where Haiti and the Dominican Republic are located. And um, it lasted less than 30 seconds. So that earthquake, as devastating as it was, lasted less than 30 seconds. So pretty intense shaking. Yeah. Um, It was also felt in several surrounding countries um, and regions, including Cuba, Jamaica, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, and Dominican Republic. Okay. So check this out. This is what I was going to allude to. And let me see if I can find the actual verbiage here. So there were seismic studies done in 2006 and 2007, and there was an article published in Haiti's Le Matin newspaper in September in 2008. Okay, so two years before this occurred. And it cited comments by geologist Patrick Charles to the effect that there was a high risk of seismic activity in Port-au-Prince. This guy predicted this two years before it was going to occur. He's like, this is going to be extremely damaging. You need to prepare. Oh, that's interesting. Did anybody listen? No. No. We trust meteorologists. Me, 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 me. <laughs> it's well, science I mean, and it's math, goddammit. <laughs> it's the only job where you can lie every day and keep your job. Right? Exactly. Such a okay, bad, so in the United joke. States, uh, USGS survey recorded eight aftershocks in the two hours after the main earthquake with magnitudes between 4.3 and 5.9, so fairly strong. Within the first nine hours, 32 aftershocks of 4.2 or greater were recorded, 12 of which reg- uh, registered at a 5.0 or greater. And on the 24th, there was 52 aftershocks total over 4.5. So again, why put your shit back on the shelf? It's going to fall right back the fuck down. Why rebuild? It's going to fall right back the fuck down. So That's so intense with like how often and how, being like 4.0, I think we've talked about this before. That's enough to rattle. It's enough it's to rattle. Not, well, I mean, I was about to say in like probably like America where people actually follow building codes, there are yep. not as many things going to be falling, but when you're following, falling, but when you're somewhere where you do not have the same kind of structure, things are falling <clears throat> like that. Yeah. And on, yeah. I was going to say, exactly. in addition to that, you had a great deal of uninhabitable buildings, buildings that were mm-hmm. should no longer be lived in or stayed in that are damaged that were then crumbling, being re-damaged or just parts were falling off of it and hitting people. So it was still uh, like the, mm-hmm. the aftershocks as they continued, um, they continued also in a population that was traumatized by a, a massive event in the yeah. country's history. So it's, it, just those aftershocks, everyone would run into the street screaming. People would sleep in the street together for the rest mm-hmm. of the evening instead of going back in the houses. I would, oh, yeah. I would I, that. Yeah, I'd rather sleep out of the streets, too. Well, I just imagine the P- PTSD you'd have because uh, Brett mm. knows that I was part, I was in an earthquake and it was like a six point one or something like that. It was in California. It was in, I think, like 2003. And I still freak out when things shake like when we worked at world market when you step by the aisles for some reason they would shake and every time i thought it was an earthquake and every time i was getting ready to duck and cover <laughs> i'm sorry i don't mean to laugh at that i'm not laughing no, but at ptsd is, but it is true but but then when you like <laughs> exasperate that to yeah. that point of like these people what they were experiencing were like when I had aftershocks, I was afraid that something was going to fall on me because I lived in a house from 1900, but like mm. it probably not the same effect as like shit falling off 
the wall, like the wall falling off and hitting me in the middle of the street right. and it could happen anywhere. Or the roof collapsing on your face. Like that's yeah. not a good, nobody wants that. No, exactly. Nobody wants that. It was, and you know, and it was happening at a time <laughs> with those, you know, if you take that time span where the aftershocks continued, um, which I, did you give the date of January 20th where they yeah. kept, and I, there was small ones that continued after that straight through for, I think it was all the way through February, but Oh. There was still, I mean, there was still rubble, collapsed buildings everywhere. And then, you know, there was people that, oh, yeah. there was people who had perished in them. So the entire st- city still had an odor of, of rotting mm, flesh. Of so death. you have this constant reminder all around you is rubble, the smell, the trauma and everything. And then it's still shaking again. So people were really uh, having to find fairly creative ways of dealing with it you know how how where do you sleep yeah. how do you sleep you know lack of yeah. housing so many people are outside anyway but it was it, i can only yeah. Yeah. i can't even imagine no uh, so i did read that there was that. yeah there was um there was okay now i feel like that's really loud i did read that there was roads blocked with debris everywhere uh the main road from port-au-prince to jack mel was blocked at least tw- 10 days after the earthquake so there was no aid delivered to Jack Mel because they couldn't get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. Blah, blah, blah. Nights following the earthquake, many people in here we go. This is exactly what Mark said. In the nights following the earthquake, many people in Haiti slept in the streets, on pavements, in their cars, or in makeshift shanty towns because their houses had been destroyed, or they feared standing instruct- uh, standing structures would not withhold the aftershocks. Um, the construction standards are low in Haiti, no building codes. Engineers have stated that it's unlikely that many buildings would have stood through any kind of disaster. Instructions often raised wherever they can fit. Some buildings were built on slopes with insufficient foundations or steel supports. Um, they estimated about 2 million Haitians lived as squatters on the land they did not own. Um, the country also suffered from shortages of fuel and potable water even before the disaster. So after the disaster, that made it like 10 times worse, if not mm-hmm. more, you know. So um, I did read a little bit further, you know, as the, the days move on, you know, they they tried, you know, the U.S. would deliver things. Different countries would be bringing in several flights per day. Um, as best they could because there was issues with the Haiti, the Haitian airport um, and the runways as well. So they tried to do their best um, to get um, things sort of rolling and, and give this, uh, you know, this, this stuff that they needed water. Yeah. Get shit done. But it says, um, according to the the research that I've found, this is six months after the quake um, as much as 98% of the rubble remained uncleared. That's 2%. 2% has actually been moved or cleared or cleaned up. An estimated 26 million cubic yards still remained, making most of the capital impassable, and thousands of bodies still remained in the street and in the mm. rubble. The number of people in relief camps and tents and tarps uh, since the quake was 1.6 million, and there was almost no transitional housing being built. Most of the camps had no electricity, running water, or sewage disposal, and the tents were beginning to fall apart. Um, crime in the camps was widespread. So of course that was happening. Um, there was, you know, and I, I don't know if this, but this is my thought and I don't know, Mark, you can maybe confirm this for me, but I'm thinking that all of this is what led to the cholera outbreak because there was just no way for them to get what they needed to stay healthy. Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of complications in the whole story, of course. 
Mm-hmm. Now, cholera, I mean, that's that's a whole, that's possibly a whole separate podcast for you, yeah. if you wanted to dive, dive <laughs> into it, because the cholera epidemic, cholera did not exist in Haiti. Cholera was brought by the UN troops. So the peacekeeping mission, oh. MINUSTA, the Nepalese peacekeeping troops that were stationed in a place called, um, excuse me, it was in the Central Plateau. Where okay. they were at, they were, unfortunately, they were not following sanitation protocol. And they were disposing oh. their fecal matter into the river. The DNA mm. thumbprint of the cholera epidemic that was in Nepal was unknowingly brought to Haiti. The sewage was not taken care of, the, the, the actual raw sewage. It was dumped into a river, which was the main tributary of the main river in Haiti. And it oh started spreading. Now, they denied it for seven years. Even though there was everyone, Whoa. the UN, it was a very political thing. Now, that, like I said, this could be a whole other podcast, but this man, largely man-made disaster, got thrown on top of the earthquake and actually turned into oh. a monster of its own, possibly much worse than what the earthquake was. Though the death toll was would, low, yeah. lower. It wasn't low. It was. 10, you know, well over 10,000 people were documented. This is 50 de- they said 50 deaths a day was there. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, horrendous and everyone was terrified yeah. of it. And it was new. It wasn't something people deal with a lot with that level of poverty. They're, things are not easy there. They have to work hard right. every day. Just as you said, find water. Is your shelter yeah. working? You're dealing with all this, and then they threw cholera on top of it. That pretty much was a death sentence. You know, it, yeah. it's just so many, not everyone, but it was over 100,000 people were infected in the first year. You know, it was unbelievable, yeah. but it was imported. I mean, that's, that's a very important point, I think, was that it was unknowingly imported by the United Nations, who was supposed to be there to help. Then they denied wow. it and lied openly to, to the public about it. Because oh, well, you know, a, this government. <laughs> it, it is, it is. It, it, it was, it was hard. It, it was very, it was a difficult time, but that is, that's yeah. that aspect. And there was just, if, if you don't mind, there was just one other thing I thought was important to point out where we're talking about building codes and, and just the, the rickety buildings in Haiti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even that's a human creation, not just the building. The United States didn't like what was going on there and invaded with the Marines in 1918. We mm-hmm. stayed until the 1930s and then turned it over really to a dictator, a military dictator. Wow. During that time, centralized control is a good military tactic. It's not necessarily a moral one, but it's a good military tactic where they shut down all the other ports and they centralized everything to Port-au-Prince. One port, okay. one main port, the government, and they centralized it. That force, and then through various manipulations and destruction of really the economy through neoliberal policy, and I, I, I'll try and keep that, not go into this <laughs> great detail, but it's largely through the manipulation of powerful governments associating with Haiti, largely by the United States government. They shut down, they made it so that the people that were peasant farmers, which would be the great, that's the largest number at one time in Haiti. I don't know that it is anymore, but they're, they no longer could make a living. So everyone flooded Port-au-Prince, which was designed for, uh, I believe, less than 
300,000 people. Now they have 3 million people. That flooding of a destruction and intentional, and I, I would say it's intentional, an intentional destruction of an economy forced all these people to go into the city and seek jobs, which weren't there. And that's why this very fast building occurred. That's why there's the expansion into the hillsides that were highly, highly unstable, specifically during an earthquake. So there's, there's the human aspects to this natural disaster where we have earthquakes that are seven plus, you know, in, in other parts Mm -hmm. of the world. And we don't see this level of destruction where you did not see this level of destruction or death was in the wealthy sections of the city, which do exist because Haiti has indigenous Mm -hmm. billionaires. That's, that was, I don't know if it's still at that time in 2010, it was the only Caribbean nation that had indigenous billionaires and then a very small percentage, but a very wealthy class. Now their houses were fine. And that's, it's worth mentioning that it's, there is a great human influence on all of this stuff. For sure. Absolutely. That is. And and that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you to this podcast. Cause I knew that this wasn't, I didn't want to touch on just the aspect of it being like a natural disaster because actually Brie and I do focus on man, 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 made disasters. Yeah. I can't talk today. It's Friday. Um, we, we look at both man-made and natural disasters and like, what what is it that we had a hand in um, versus what the the earth just kind of helped push along? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So already they were in a state. So let me ask you, Mark. So you said you had been there prior to the earthquake and then again after the earthquake, correct? correct. Okay. So can you kind of give us sort of a visual or like, you know, like you're, you're giving us a 360 from where you're standing, wherever it is you are in Haiti the difference between the before and the after. Um, yeah, I can, I think I can do that. Let me say now the two places that I lived before and after were very different. So prior to the earthquake, I would pass through Port-au-Prince and would love to time my flight. So I didn't have to stay there because it's a rough city. Mm. It's very crowded. Mm -hmm. It's very loud. Um, and getting from place to place is quite difficult. You know, it's not, and it's not the type of work that I was looking to do. So I was living in the countryside, which was, uh, poverty is extreme, but I, there's something about rural poverty that I don't find nearly as devastating and I don't live in it. So I don't know that I'm permitted to have that type of opinion, but the rural areas, people are able to plant food. They're able to, they have work to do. and so it, it seems, and it just seems, a, a, to simplify, it seems very happy, even though it's painful okay. and there's lots of, of problems. But so there was the countryside with its poverty still was in what I would consider quite functional. And there was a lot of solutions to be found within their own reach for the problems they had. They just had to work hard at it. So, and they so did. almost like self-serving in a way. Like they they would figure out, like, look, if we got this problem, okay, we're gonna figure out yeah, how to Yeah, and do they it. had access. Not like, hey, where's the government? Where's our Yeah, stuff? they had access to resources that really they supported. It's, it's a thing that's called Madam Sara. So Madam Sara is the is the peasant woman who brings in food from the countryside to her family to sell or to share. And Madam Sara, it's really it's the the peasantry 
that brings in all and really is the lifeline to the people in Port-au-Prince and in the cities. Nice. So they, they have this highly valued position in the community, uh, in the, the, the Haitian community, but, and they work at it and you can, there's a, there is pride to be found there. And I think that they exhibit it as they should in terms of the, awesome. the peasants who work and there really are, I believe the symbol of Haiti is this, this uh, peasant, peasant is, is how you say it in Creole. It's not, it's considered a, a peasant. With, it's not a derogatory. Not term. at all. It's something that oh, really could be a source of pride. If, if, yep. with the is right it kind of like how some people might see like redneck, like some people yeah. take pride in that, you know, or yeah, <laughs> you know, you hasty, you hick, but it's not, it's so the peasants, like the movement, uh, you know, the MPP, the movement pays on, uh, I mean, that's one of the biggest organizations there. They have these peasant, these are really what they are, small scale farmer organizations. And mm-hmm. they're some of the most influential ones in the country. But so that's, awesome. so that's pre-earthquake. Now coming through Port-au-Prince, it was still difficult. I would, I would try to minimize the time there, have meetings or whatever I had to do, but then hopefully pass right through and be in the countryside. And I was working uh, mostly a uh, I was dealing some with agriculture, but mostly with healthcare, with wellness, mm-hmm. with access to clean drinking water, just really learning what the situation was and how we could work with these groups in order to try and find solutions. Uh, I was out of the earthquake at the time that it hit. And then after it hit, I made my way back. And what I found was, was I probably, if you saw the horrendous photos and really the the oh, yeah. depictions of devastation it was that everywhere. It really, um, it was buildings that I was familiar with and ways to get places were gone. You no longer recognize communities or, you know, wow. little sections of the city were unrecognizable streets in the very beginning streets were gone. You were just walking on rubble and you might be on a road. You might be on someone's house. It was hard to tell. Oh my God. It's very tight, you know, single lane roads. And so um, the city, there, there was also, I mean, just in terms of the, the fear that existed, you know, with the population. Mm-hmm. And this is me, you know, based on what I interacting with people and talking with them was there was a sense that something really bad did occur without really in, in a lot of the general population not knowing what the solutions might be. Where wow. prior to that, I feel like there's there in in terms of my my understanding or my view of Haitian culture, they they know what's going on. What do we have to do? Mm-hmm. How are we going to do it? They run their neighborhoods. You might not know it from an outsider's perspective when you're watching them all get together to distribute water. That you know the water that the the water that shows up in a in a tank once a week or twice a week, there's systems involved. It, it doesn't necessarily look like it, but they have systems mm-hmm. involved and all of them were gone. So it was almost like a re a big reset button occurred, but without really any direction on which way are we going to make, how, how are we going to change things? How are we going to move forward in it? I think that wow. was a big, a big part of the issue that was going on. Now there was groups who had plans. It's just a matter of what they have. And this is, these are Haitian community groups Will they have access to the 16 billion, the resources that are yeah. being distributed? And that, that yeah. was one of the main questions is, will the Haitians have access to resources to rebuild their country in the image that they have for it, as opposed to 
foreign mm-hmm. nonprofits, NGOs, foreign governments, foreign uh, all everyone on the businesses, everyone on the outside, determining this is how I think I want to do this. That was so. A- to this day, there's still a good amount of devastation still left from this event. Am I correct? Yeah, I, there's there's uh, some things that'll probably never be fixed. Some things that mm-hmm. you know, there's still broken buildings. I mean, the building right next to me, uh, two lots next to me are still one's still a pile of rubble. One has been cleared, wow. but. It's still just, uh, you know, we're talking about transitional shelter. You know, there's emergency yeah. shelter, transitional shelter, and then permanent. There's still a bunch of permanent or temporary shelters in, like, just yeah. in my the neighborhood that I I live in. Wow, mm-hmm. yeah. that's crazy, man. It's it's um yeah it it was I will say like it was uh, at the time it it didn't seem completely crazy, but looking back on it, it certainly was was uh intense it was an intense and it and it was like a highly charged time of just trying to figure out what's going on mm-hmm. yep so i i would love to say you know you know brie and i talk a lot about preparation but it, for a country <laughs> like this preparation is not something that's accessible or mm-hmm. um you can only do so much given what you're given to work with so with your means exactly so um we also like to, um, I'll say like give a shout out, but that's kind of like not that, but, um, promote, I guess, but- we, yeah. So we like to promote a, a nonprofit or something that if someone would like to do good for somebody living in Haiti right now and knowing that they are the ones that going are going to benefit from it, not, you know, some weird rickety ass government or, or, you know, a U.S. Um, deployment of some sort that, that's not going to affect them the way it should. Where would you recommend people go so that they could donate or give or help if there's, if there's still a need? I mean, there certainly is not just for the earthquake. There's still a need there. And if we're looking at what the issues were that led to the high death toll, which right. I, mm-hmm. think, uh, I think that we can point the finger a great deal at what happened with the human aspect of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if I think that the way I, at least the way I work is I want Haitians to make decisions for their country. And I don't right. want to, yeah. I'll make suggestions if I, only if I'm asked, you know, by them. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a, if we could find organizations that do this sort of work that are going to work on the types of things that are, influencing these human factors right so there's to get information i think probably the most accurate information prior to if you're going to look into to organizations to donate to or to mm-hmm. to it, just to see what kind of work is is going on that is helpful there's the center for economic and policy research it's a okay. think tank it's based in dc it's um, i'm familiar with them i've printed some of my work they publish, the, the work that I do, they publish and, and promote for me. Um, Excellent. And they do, they, they have a Jake Johnston specifically is the, I believe the lead Haiti researcher and his, his work specifically will give you a great deal of information. There's a great documents he puts out called Haiti by the numbers and he does it and, believe he still did it this year but he just gives you by the years of what's going on statistical data 
to real, real quick. <clears throat> and in terms of, I think that a, a lot of what I'm doing is all is based on, or is, is, is has a base in human rights and the idea of human yeah. rights and how do we promote human rights? How do we promote rule of law? And yeah. so there's the Bureau de Avocat International, which is headed by uh, the Office of International Lawyers. It's headed by um, the Haitian human rights lawyer, Mario Joseph, who is okay. the, the work he does. I've, I've, when he permits, I collaborate and try and help out whenever I can. But the work that they do with their sister organization, the Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti, or excuse me, Institute for Justice and Democracy for Haiti. IJDH, and they're based out of Boston. Um, those two organizations, they they are sister organizations, and they're working on things that are going to insulate the Haitian community from the types of human error, or if it's not error, it might be intentional, but the human aspects yeah. of these disasters. And I think that they do an awesome. excellent job at it. And guys, we're going to um, actually put links to those um, mm-hmm. in our posts and on our Facebook. So if you would like to reach out to these organizations and ask how you can help, um, we will have that information available. Yeah. Uh, could yes. you give me, that was the borough, I, I got borough of issues. B-A-I. What was that? Yeah. B-A-I, Bureau, the Avocat International. So the Office of International Lawyers. And it's Mario Joseph. Mario Joseph. Mario. I thought you said avocado. Avocado. <laughs> like pure uh, avocado. I heard what it sounded like avocado for a second. <laughs> I was like, I'm writing yeah. that down. Avocado is, is both. I would do that. Yeah. And and then it's um, IJDH. And if you IJDH. And I believe their website is IJDH.org. And that uh, right Great. now I believe the lead legal counsel is probably Bia Lindstrom, who Awesome. It does excellent work as well. Brian Kincannon headed that organization for a very long time. Uh, he was one of the founders, and uh, I believe he just recently has moved on. Ah, yeah. okay. Wonderful person. I think very, very highly of everyone at IJDH and BAI. Mark, you're a wonderful person. Well, thank you. I think you're wonderful. Yes. <laughs> We want to thank you for joining us. I'm so glad I got your input on this. Like I said, I I, I knew that you had um, firsthand experience there and knew that it wasn't just the natural trauma, that there was also a man-made part of that that really helped influence the continued sort of disaster mm-hmm. um, effects, the sort of... Uh, I feel like it was like a domino effect almost. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny because as we know, happened, me and Brett so. never get political on this ever. Ever. So, you know, <laughs> it's funny though, ever. But it's so funny as soon as you're talking about United States coming in, like all I could think of like, of course, like what happens after. Yeah. What did we fuck those, up? Like, one, yeah, exactly. I mean, one other thing that, you know, with the statistics of the, the difficulty with the runway at the airport, like the runway actually mm-hmm. wasn't, damaged i i I know that no 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 but it was it was once things got there they were like yeah well takes care you know what what i mean this is another thing that occurred the united states military took over control of that air tower they determined Mm -hmm. who came and when and there's the story that doctors without borders had one of their planes turned around i believe five times 
five times oh, in order. Be, I believe that. In order to get more troops and soldiers and guns over doctors. And that was a big scandal. Oh, God. Yeah. That was it. And I, Doctors Without Borders, MSF, Medicine Sound Frontier. Yeah. I think that they're an excellent organization. They did a lot of good and they don't get involved with the political bullshit that you will see with some of the other organizations. I should. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Adding that to my, my list here I have going on. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Mark, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It was nice to speak with you again. It's been a while. Yeah, I know it has been a while. I really appreciate it. All like great meeting you over the <laughs> voice nice web here. Uh, the voice that's webs. it's amazing. I think I agree. Like, because I was talking to Brett before we started recording about how, like, oh, yeah, we have to think of a nonprofit to shout out. Uh, because yeah. we try to keep the same one for the month. And she's like, I think Mark ha- might have some ideas. I was like, and oh, it, wait, just wait, yeah. just wait. <laughs> well, no, but I appreciate it because I think yeah. one of the hardest parts when you're away and you don't know what's going on when you're not there is knowing who you can trust with your donation. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's. One of the most, and like even with the Australian fires or any kind of like disaster that happens, it's really hard to know who you can trust and what they're going to do with the money. And especially when we're talking about like how they're going to involve, say, the United States government with this money mm-hmm. usage and how is it actually going to benefit the people who actually need it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, uh, if I could mention, there's, if anyone's interested in the role of non government organizations and really how they operate, specifically with case studies in Haiti. Uh, Dr. Mark Schuler, um, he has a series of books. I think he's probably the most researched writer, or I would say he's the most researched writer um, prior to the earthquake and after regarding uh, non-governmental organizations and the role that they play. Excellent. And so he, awesome. he's great. Mark Schuler is, he really, uh, it's it's a little dense with all the information, but he hits nail on the head, I think, every time. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Mark. I so appreciate you jumping on with us and sharing all this amazing information. Awesome. All right. Well, all guys, right, well, thank, thank you, you very much. You have a wonderful evening, and let's talk again real soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye, Mark. Bye, guys. Bye. So that was really cool having Mark. We wish we could have had him longer, yes. but <laughs> yes, it would have been fun to have cool. him longer. And especially like, so I, I, and there has to be a time where we come up to Portland and we bring him with, or like, there's gotta be a time where you guys can meet him because he is absolutely the funniest guy I've ever met. I know he didn't mm. sound funny on the podcast because we're talking about something very serious, but yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. Oh my God. He's so he's- funny. So knowledgeable, of course, because he was there too. But I really liked his like it's very specific input that a lot yes. of people don't know about. He's extremely insightful. Of. Yes. He's very, yeah. very insightful. And he he he's like a sponge. Wherever he goes, he soaks it all in. Yeah. And I mean really takes it in. And and he can just, you know, spout with the best of them. I love it. So he's a fantastic person. He does really, really good work down there. Um mm-hmm. And he's a humanitarian in through and through. So absolutely yeah. love that man and appreciate that he uh, was able to get on our podcast today. So yeah, it does remind me that I need to watch more just like interviews too with people because right? I never because th- I do so much reading and articles. And today, I don't for, know what to say to you. <laughs> yeah, actually, for the one I'm going to do, I actually watched a video right before we recorded, which I was so glad because it added a little bit extra information. And just hearing the reviews and hearing a little bit or the interview, because there was like, what's this thing in there? Why is that there? And finally, yeah. I listened and I was like, that's why it's there. Now I know. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Are you Great. ready? I'm so ready. 
Let's do this, girl. Oh, gosh. So I totally looked up how to say this, and now Pioneer. <laughs> fuck. Uh, hold on. It's I mean, not pronounced fuck. <laughs> no, it's not. Heads up. I'm going to do Guys. the how to pronounce real quick because I had it, and then just because I have to say it a few times. Uh, oops. I keep I'm just here. over here enjoying my delicious tequila drink. You deserve it. Oh, I need to buy more tequila. <laughs> when we recorded with Michelle, I drank it all. <laughs> it, it that was sounds like about fourth, right. It was only yep. fourth of a bottle, but still, I I drank it all. Yeah, that okay. sounds about right. Pioneer. Okay, I heard Pioneer. I think that's it. Pioneer. 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 Okay. Pioneer. 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 So it's Pioneer. Pioneer. Close enough. Okay. Pain-ier. Close enough. All right, so I'm covering Lake Paneer. Have you heard of it? No. Like, just from the name, at least. So, funny thing is I actually just... So, I was doing a career fair <clears throat> with the nonprofit professional organization that I'm with at PSU. Oh. And this guy, he was... It came up that he he was doing something and I was like oh that's funny because I have a podcast about disasters and he was like oh and he's like oh what's called and he's like oh there's this disaster that you should hear and he told me about it and then I was looking up disasters today and this came up and I was like ding 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 that's the one I want to do so it was really stop exciting. that's yeah, amazing I love how that happens oh my god so I looked on wikipedia I looked mm-hmm. on this is so weird I do not know why but it was on the gun association blog <laughs> I like the American Gun Association, but and I, I was like, I don't think this is what it. And I was like, why is this here? I don't know. So maybe there was uh, a guy who just loves guns, but also loved this disaster. Apparently, and it's like gunassociation.org. I don't know. It was weird. And then um, daminteresting.com. Like damn Air, interesting. The I like that website. Of doom. Yeah, damn interesting. And uh, was it that's all interesting? That's what the one that yes. Okay. Uh, which I always use. But Damn Interesting, which is Lake Panier, The Swirling Vertex of Doom by Alan Bellows, uh, is Moto. 30 years ago, Louisiana Lake turned into a swirling pit of, swirling pit of destruction. I think it's kind of giving away, but not. Okay. Uh, AtlanticObscura.com and YouTube, there was actually a channel called Panier Girl, and it was kind of discussing. Uh, it's like a seven minute video that I watched. Um, How do you spell you know, this? News clips. P-E-I-G. You can't look it up yet. Okay. I'm not. Uh, I'm just going to put it okay. in here. P-E-I-G-N-E-U-R. Sorry, I couldn't read my writing for a second. Only because the way I wrote this, there's there's a dramatic effect a little bit. So okay. you can't know everything yet. Okay. But you will. I just I just put it in there and I'm just not touching <laughs> it. Okay. So, I'm just excited. <laughs> <laughs> I am really excited because I actually set this up. When you read about it, you know right away my second half, but I kind of wanted to create a little bit more, I don't know, drama, I guess. I just wanted to be a little bit like, but why, essentially? <laughs> I love that we both did it at the same time. <laughs> so for our listeners that can't see, we both do this little thing where we like take our fingers and like do this like little wave, this little fan, like, whoa. It was like a wiggly around the mouth, like, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> we both did it at the same time. <laughs> So Lake Premier is located in Iberia, Louisiana. And okay. if people don't know, like it's 
Premier is obviously French with it's P E I G N E U R. Premier. If you don't know, Louisiana had a whole bunch of like French settlements and stuff, hence like New Orleans and spoke the Creole, and just stuff. like Mark. Cre- I should have had him yeah. speak something. Damn it. <laughs> um, so it was a freshwater lake and only 11 feet deep, and it was a popular fishing spot and general recreational spot. Okay. So, November 20th in 1980, a dozen workers from the Wilson Brothers drilling crew were drilling and probing for oil for Texaco under the lake. This was kind of popular. There was, uh, like, rigs and stuff just all around. And then, like, there's a canal that hooked up to the lake that also had, um, like, barges and rigs and stuff. So, after some effort, it seemed that they couldn't free the drill. Like, it stuck. Um, Oh, when the – sorry. So when the drill hit uh, 1,230 feet, it began to seize up and it caused the whole platform to shake. And then after some some effort, it seemed that they couldn't free the drill. So usually it wouldn't be an issue to bring the drill back up, but it was stuck and they couldn't figure out what the hell to do, which Uh was a red flag to the workers that something just wasn't right. Uh So it was decided to cut the barges from the rig um, and get away from the rig. It didn't take long for the Texaco platform and Derek, which was kind of like a crane, uh, to overturn and then disappear into the lake. <gasps> oh, <laughs> and that was what the they whole were like. Crane on. was gone. Yeah, and it's not a crane. It's um, it's called a derrick. It's kind of like a crane. It's one way I think to like move things. So, but it's like that mach- that whole piece of machinery with the drill attached is just. I now think it's like- more <laughs> so like a big tower. Okay. Okay. Um. I was trying to figure out what it was and all the wording was weird. So it's like, what's the difference between a crane and a derrick? So I'm like, okay, so it's like a crane. Got it. Okay. Fair, <laughs> My fair great <enough>. research. <laughs> um, so it overturned, disappeared just like that. So the water started to circle. And at first the circling was slow, but then it started to catch some more speed into a legit whirlpool. Oh, kind of like when you drain a bathtub. This oh, whirlpool. Shit ruined diameter that was almost a quarter mile wide it became a powerful beast it began to take more from the surface and this includes more barges to a total of 11 trucks and even 50 acres of surrounding land this rule caused landslides fucking intense wow so um there was a canal that would take water away from the lake well it went backwards so the whirlpool had the power to pull the water from the canal back into the lake. For a bit, this created a waterfall that was the tallest waterfall in Louisiana of water from the Gulf of Mexico uh, temporarily. Because, waterfall, like an actual yeah. waterfall. So the canal, because like the lake was draining into so the canal that usually takes water away from the lake into the ocean. The okay. water was the whirlpool pulled the water actually back into the lake. And so that canal created a waterfall into the lake. That is so weird. So it was a temporary waterfall. And also I can't much- imagine a waterfall in Louisiana because it's like yeah. flat as fuck. Yeah, I think it was only like 50 feet tall, which I think uh, is why it was like temporarily <laughs> the tallest waterfall in Louisiana. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, no, it's totally crazy. And so this was a freshwater lake. Keep that in mind. And now it's yes. taking water backwards into and sucking in barges through this whirlpool. There's whirlpools, I guess, some into some not, but like pulling barges and shit towards this lake and like swirling it down. They're disappearing. Jesus. Uh, it even says, like, when it says trucks, they meant, like, big rig trucks being pulled in. 
Because, like I said, 50 acres is a huge amount of land. Jesus. Uh, so the Gulf of Mexico also started to go north. The, oh, this was the first time that the Gulf of Mexico started going north from the power of the whirlpool versus like the water from the Gulf of Mexico. It changed the way <laughs> the Gulf of area. Mexico was flowing. What yeah. a literal well, fuck. At least in that canal because of the Good power. God. Again. And that's like the first time that's happened. Um, Jesus. And then, so this type of whirlpool can be referred to as a male storm. It's M-A-E-L storm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they'll call it like a vortex. Yeah, Um, I've heard of those. And the compressed air from the air shafts, which you'll find out more about why the air shafts are, created 400 feet geysers. Wow. So this is just, it's a sinkhole. Like, it's just a huge, crazy sinkhole in the middle of lake giving us all these different phenomenons because the water oh, and everything like it's crazy so what happened if you heard about this disaster before uh and you're wondering why i left a huge chunk of the story out that was for a dramatic effect oh so below the lake was diamond crystal salt mines uh that oh drill. they were after that shit well they were trying to find the oil and the salt Assholes. mines were under it Always. And so it's normal, like the salt mines have been under there. It's not, it's nothing new. They knew that the salt mines were down there, but they done oh, fucked man. up essentially. So as the drill went through the floor of the uh, lake, it went into the ceiling of a salt mine. Oh. Uh, when the drill hit the tunnel, uh, I don't know if it's Juanius or Janius Gadsen. He was an electrician okay. uh, working in the mines. He said that he heard a loud, weird noise. Like, what the fuck is that? And he then found where the sound was coming from. And that's when he saw the water rushing in from the tunnel, oh. like into the tunnels. Oh. <laughs> and so when he found it, the water was already knee deep. So <sighs> yeah, it was just like, can you imagine also being in the mines being like, the fuck is going on? Um, so he hit the emergency alarm for immediate evacuation. Of course. So, yeah, which was good, thank God. Uh, the drill bit hit an upper shaft of the salt mine, and the bit was only 14 inches wide, which, I mean, a little bit over a foot, and I say wow. only because, um, and so that was the initial hole. And then the water started to pour in yeah. and dissolve the edges of the hole, widening it. Um, and this explains why how quickly the whirlpool became so strong, because it was okay. getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there was like over 3 billion tons of water or gallons, over 3 billion gallons of water in that lake. So that power, like it just had so much, I guess you could say fuel for a whirlpool. Yeah. Um, so it grew the hole. <laughs> uh, and then because of, you know, it's a salt mine, so it's a lot of salt and water, what happens, it dilutes. And so as more and more water filled the mines, it started to also dissolve the pillars that are mostly made out of salt that then took support away from the mine ceiling. Oh, jeez. So Really messed up with the integrity of the uh, mines. Oh, my God. Isn't that like, could you imagine being down there? It's like. Did anybody. Sur- well, how did they survive? So. Thank God for the electrician. <laughs> I love you just straighten up your paper. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. So Jesus. because. Uh, Juanis or. uh Janisa, uh, since he pulled the evacuation, people were like, oh, shit, let's get out. Get out. Okay, um, good. 
So there were 50 miners working below the surface at the time. When their alarms rang, some miners below were as far down as 1,500 feet below. As they wow. moved up to the 1,300 feet level, they were met with deep, deep water. So yeah. they're still able to wait turns to take. There was an eight-person elevator that was like super slow. So they just had to wait and take turns to take oh, that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you imagine, like, you know, they're freaking out. Like, are we going to be able to get out here in time? Because how fast no, those tunnels had to be I don't want to wait for the elevator. I'd be like, go, 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 go. I know. It. Can I climb these? Can so I climb this? They were still able to wait turns waiting. Uh, so not all 50 were in the same area, of course. Yeah. So maintenance foreman Randy LaSalle took it upon himself to go around and warn the workers who are too far to hear the evacuation alarm because apparently didn't reach everywhere. And they used what they could like mine carts to meet with the others on that third level where the elevator was. So because of those two men reacting very quickly, they were able to save all and some say 50 to 55, but 50 to 55 miners were saved because those guys were like, so if there was any deaths, they were very minimal. There were no deaths. Oh, they didn't. So no reported deaths. No reported I'll deaths. I'll be darned. Yeah. Okay. And I think a lot of it has to do. So the guys that were in the water, on the water part, yeah. um, when it started going, they jumped off. And I think they jumped onto like their boat or something. And then they end up having to jump off that to the shore because wow. of the power. There's actually a guy who was fishing in the lake who made it to shore and got out before oh, anything fuck. happened to him. So he survived too. Um, well, yeah, I they can't. said so like barges were like being swallowed up and they popped up like corks in a bathtub. Just boink. Yep. Yep. Hello. It, later There's on, a barge. <laughs> later on, they, uh, they like nine of them popped back up. Wow. Uh, so that's part. And I'm sure with the salt water that made a difference because the salt water started coming in. Yeah. So after three hours, the lake was drained, which like. So all that water went down. Yep. In a hole. Yep. Bye bye. Uh, the canal began to pour water back into the lake, and this water was from the Gulf of Mexico, filling the once freshwater lake with billions of gallons of salt water. And this Ooh. is what created the tallest waterfall in Louisiana temporarily. So it filled over a couple days, and funnily, nine of the 11 barges came back up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah now you're allowed like, to look boink, at stuff. Boink, I just want to make boink. sure that... That salt mine thing. Was yeah. Important. So I wanted to see, like, I actually wanted to see when you mentioned the waterfall, I'm like, okay, I got to see this waterfall. It, yeah. it is a legit waterfall. It's so weird. It almost looks like a chunk of Niagara Falls or something. It does. It's yeah. really crazy. And then the geyser the was insane too. I don't okay, know. Okay. So let me ask you. Yeah. Did I do the corn sinkhole, the bayou corn? Did I discuss that the very first episode? I think you did, but I don't remember. Because it says that that was reprising the Lake Penure because it's like this sinkhole caused by drilling was Uh. like (laughs) swallowing things in. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. I was like, did I? I was like, I thought I did the Bayou Corn. And I did. I think I mentioned it. That was the first episode where where I talked about sinkholes. And I was like, this Bayou Corn thing was fascinating. Watching the trees just get swallowed up. Yeah. In this area of the bayou, and you're like, oh, what's below there? <laughs> yeah. So I wonder what's yeah. below because here we know it's salt mines and this ate up trees. Yeah. And people were saying like 150 year old pecan trees being sucked in by this whirlpool. Again, I want to emphasize yeah. 50 acres of land. And so there was a, uh, but that's a lot of fucking nearby. land. Yeah. 
It's not like, oh, here's a, here's like, you know, my house, two doors down. That's 50 acres. That's a lot. That's huge. (gasps) Yeah. That's a lot of chunk of land and like how it caused landslides. It's nature is fascinating. Nature is fascinating. This is why we do this kids. Yes. Love it. So, um, as I was saying, even well, that you mentioned, were there any deaths? So even with all yeah. the vast destruction, there was no victims. Uh, Fabulous. And no one died. And they said that there was no serious injuries, which Wonderful. is amazing. Which yes. is when we were discussing what co- <laughs> me and some people from other disaster podcasts were talking about this discussion of what a natural disaster is or isn't. Some people don't like that term. And right. then we were discussing what qualifies for it. And someone said that if there was no deaths or injuries, they didn't know if they would count as a disaster. And I said, well, I feel like if it like messed up a forest or something, it would be. I and feel I like this if monetary damage is done it's mm. a disaster yeah that's my that's my definition of it yeah if and this monetary is... damage is done so if you can quantify yeah. the damage done in a dollar amount mm. it's a disaster well i would add that or if people passed away also that yeah <laughs> or if animals passed away or if you ruined oh. a, a chunk of land because this ruined land around it um and there's definitely monetary and so i guess it, and it is um and in this discussion, I feel like no one's wrong. I think it's all yeah. opinion. It was just really interesting. And this is 100% man-made. This was yeah. because people... It's all subjective. Yeah. 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 And so it was an interesting thing of like, I knew it. I thought and this was my... This is now one of my examples of like, this is something that didn't kill people, but was... It, it fucked up earth a it little still bit was there. devastating yeah exactly it was very devastating i mean it's like you know people probably you know they were out of work for a while there was Lost it, there was devastation to land yeah. um you know to lose 50 acres i mean what was that 50 acres for did, did was there homes on there was that you know somebody's potential land for farming you know we don't know you know i mean yeah. i don't know if you know because you did the research but and then on top of it the barges and again there's monetary loss yeah. so to me, and that I, says disaster. And I was trying to find more and more because I got some lists and more and more lists of things that were ruined and destroyed. And I know like botanical garden and <laughs> a plant nursery. And finally, I figured out there was a home because there's a chimney in the middle of the lake now. Oh, my God. Like, where did this chimney come from? And some people are like, oh, you can see this chimney. I'm like, OK, we can see this chimney. Where did it come from? And finally, so clearly there was somebody living there. There yeah, was a home. Someone's, someone's home sank 30 feet, essentially, slash was destroyed, slash. Yeah, just part put of the a lake. chimney in a lake. Hey, no, I want to keep don't. this lake warm. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep um, this lake warm. So I was kind of shocked by how much I didn't hear about as much of the homes and stuff around. Wow. Um, yeah. So that is true. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I was like, so when I mentioned monetary damage, like, yeah. were there oh, homes yeah. damaged? I'm sure there were. There you had said to be. they found a chimney and fucking, yeah. Yeah. So. And, and we're talking about the big rig trucks and stuff. So yep. after the collapse from the drill, the depth of the lake went far. The lake was completely altered. So a source says, which is Wikipedia says it was 200 feet at the deepest depth, but I'm not sure. Cause someone else said it was another article said it was 1300 deep. So I'm wondering what they count of like the tunnels now partially being full, like what they count uh, the depth of it. What is how the depth? Big, yeah. Yeah. And how big that <clears> hole <throat> is. That makes so, sense. Essentially, it's really deep. And now it's brackish water, which is a combination of salt water and fresh water. So it's I not need enough. that. Oh, yay. 
Yeah. I had to look it up. I was like, no, I, I, yeah, I, I knew Brackish. I've known Brackish because I lived in Virginia and Virginia has Brackish water lakes. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not quite salt water because there's too much fresh water in there, but it's correct. not fresh water. So it's like somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah. I learned something new today, which is fun. Yeah. Um, so because of that, it has completely changed the <laughs> ecosystem of the lake. So now there's different plants and species and stuff. Isn't in there. that interesting? Fucking love that. Like, just yeah. like, I love that. Like how adding salt water from the Gulf of Mexico totally changed the whole ecosystem. Like, yep. I don't love what happened, but I love the science behind that. That's right. the part that I like. It's that part is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Completely. Yeah. So like, and I was wondering that too. And then I read it. I was like, okay. So Texaco and Wilson Brothers um, paid $32 million to the Diamond Crystal. And the mines were eventually closed on December 1986 because this happened in 1980 in November. Wow. Uh, so six years after. And then $12.8 million was paid out to the Botanical Park and also a nearby plant nursery. Uh, there were many yay. other. Yay. Yeah, they deserve that money. They All right. Good. Garden. That breaks my heart. So <clears throat> yeah, I love botanical gardens. Oh, me too. There were many other lawsuits that were settled outside of court. So we don't know much information about those. Mm. Uh, so this disaster called a sh- <laughs> my my very fancy like uh, professional writing. So this disaster cost a shit ton of money. So- <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit ton. That's a technical term. It's such a metric. That's an American metric. So though with my research, it seems that there weren't any official blame. Um, It was noted that there was a miscalculation perhaps that caused the whole ordeal. So they said that they calculated the Wilson brothers say like, oh, no, like we try to calculate where we where we could probe for oil and this shouldn't happen. But they were like, no, you miscalculate. But there was no source of like, you dumb fucked up. Like, yeah, which was interesting. I mean, they still had to pay out. But those were private lawsuits, it seemed, versus And like- this is why I don't like this whole, like, so yeah, I'm sure you heard that they, um, there's now- a, I like a, you're almost whispering. I, I'm whispering. <laughs> Actually, I'm not. It's it's just this freaking shield. It's amazing. Yeah. So um, there's, they're re-attempting, I don't know who they are, but like mm. there's a, a, a group that's trying to say that they want to drill in Moab, like the National Park Moab. Oh, no. Yeah. I posted it on my Facebook and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So I guess it was shot down a couple of years ago, but they're trying again. Yeah. And I'm like, so BLM is willing to sell land to oil people because they're going to give them enough money and be like, oh, don't worry. We're going to take of it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And the same shit's going to happen. You're going to yeah. bring in a guy who goes, I did the science. It's fine. I'm going to drill this far and everything's going to be okay. And then things like, you know, Gasland, the the yeah. movie that was produced uh, about, you know, where AJ lived in Tawanda, how they did frank- fracking and people's water was fucked up. Uh, and they had to have water tanks uh, mm-hmm. put at their house so they could have clean and fresh drinking water. Um, yeah. There was that part where he could light the water on fire, you know, Jeez. like things like that. You know, and it's like, this is a national park. There's a reason yeah. it's a national park. And that, that, like, I get eminent domain. I understand the reason behind it to some extent. But we're not at any extent. point now of needing that for oil. But we're not. We're just not. We have so many alternative ways to get fuel. In places. Let's and not we'll, and, use that. Let's not take and, away our national monuments and parks. Thanks. And my dad's a welder in the oil field. So I grew up with, I mean, his truck says fucking gas money. Like that's, or oil money. Like my, not gas, my my dad's truck says gas oil money. Gas money. 
Gas yeah. money oil, bitches. <laughs> but like it's in San Ardo and this and that. So I am one of those things like, yeah, like I get like the need of oil or like how people feel the need of oil. We do have alternative ways. I don't think that we should rely on it. We definitely have no need to go into like None. Native American land that belongs to the Native Americans that belonged to them before we, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Well, but, not like, only that, we but like, should be what's stealing been, land from people and right, national or what's parks been classified as a national park. Like a national yeah. park is for the enjoyment of people. Well, that's um, both indigenous and otherwise to yeah. enjoy nature. Yeah. Not an oil rig. Yeah. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? It's like it's in like, Alaska, oh. there's, you know, protected land that they want to go into. And, and, uh, where, where was that? I can't believe my brain where they wanted to put the pipeline. And also, in. they get a stipend. So fuck that. You're going to drill in a national park. Guess what? Give everybody in that fucking state a stipend for your drilling. Yeah. Just saying. They, just, they didn't do it in Pennsylvania. <sighs> they do it in Alaska. They have an oil pipeline. They get a stipend every year. Well, also, you just get a stipend for living in Alaska, though. And also, correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong, because I could be wrong, but that's what I heard. Um, so. You get a stipend just for living in Alaska. My Sam, you I, live okay, there. cool. Oh, I'm going to go move to Alaska because I need a stipend. Yeah. So, our friend used to live in Alaska, and I'm pretty sure her brother and sister also get money for living in Alaska. Like, you get yeah. so much. Be- I mean, it's Alaska, so it's Alaska. Um, Nobody wants to fucking live there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to visit. Horrible. I'm sure it's beautiful. No, I just don't want to be hey. cold. Yes, it's also fucking and the, cold. The and it's also thing. dark. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah. What, six months out of the year or some shit? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I'm good. So, um, yeah. Okay, so, so they're closed, right? And all that shit. But it's not done yet. We're not to the finish oh, line. Oh, no, no. Because this is why I'm so glad. I kind of saw some stuff about this, but then I was so glad I found this, uh, Paneer girls videos because I was kind of like seeing hinting about what they're doing with the salt mines now. Yeah. What's happening now? The salt mines are used for national natural gas storage. (laughs) Does anyone else just kind of hear that with everything that's already happened there and go, what? I'm sorry. If we could screenshot my face right now. (laughs) It just makes me think. Huh? Do you think this is the appropriate place for this? I, I this literally happened? just smiled so huge, like uh, uh, smiling <laughs> in like uh, a very sarcastic, like, yeah, right, right, really, really, yeah, really. Am I shocked? No, no, so, am I shocked? Why? <laughs> Obviously, locals are afraid that it could be dangerous and possibly explode. Storing gas. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Uh, the salt mines are viewed to be not sturdy enough. They're not why. stable. That is not a stable environment. It can't be because all. that water is dissolving still. It has to be. If there's still there has to still be water going into the mines. It can't be just done. No. I don't and I'm sure some of it's closed off. I don't trust it. I don't trust the government in this I kind of either. thing. Nope. I don't trust how Texaco or like or any natural gas even. I don't trust them. I just nope. don't. These companies are coming in and not listening. So this is like my short little <laughs> paragraph. Let me, so let me just... angry. Let me tell you about this, y'all. So the salt mines are viewed to be not sturdy enough. Uh, there has been mysterious white foam bubbles on top of the lake that worry the locals that come and go. And they don't know if it means what? that another hole's forming or maybe. And I believe they said that they did testing at one point. There was like diesel material in it, which I mean, oh, if it, Jesus. if there was oil, but still like. There's mysterious bubbles that they see they're I, testing. I don't like it. Yeah. So um, 
they're and like there's the locals that are trying to fight and they feel very powerless because uh they'll put because it's like oh yeah they put something in to like I pretty much I think just discuss and really like stop maybe the gas storage and the natural gas storage and then that was um not acquitted but pretty much just like yeah okay never mind like it was yeah it was tossed to the side yeah it was tossed to the side and then just like was ignored and no longer going to be pursued so I feel and this was in like 2008 2009 they have a post on 2013 in the video so I think this is still a currently a current a current issue thing. It could sure. not be just because I didn't get the last seven year update because we were getting ready to record. And I was trying to, and this is like <laughs> the last of like, Oh yeah, I need to like, I, I came across this and thought it was really important to add to this. If you are from the area of Louisiana, especially if you're from the Iberian parish or know people, please let us know um, what's going on with this situation with the yeah. lake and the natural gas storage. I would love to hear about what you think or what you feel, because this does not make me happy personally. No. It makes me really upset. And I think especially just like this is minimal compared to Haiti, but it makes me think again, like where people who have the money has the control. Yeah. Overlooked. Who's in control? And it's like control of this. Yeah. Every time that happens. Um, So if you visit the lake, you can find a chimney that uh, peeks out of the lake. I'm looking at it. It kind of looks like a giant dildo. That's Leave that me to find the dick and everything. Yeah. <laughs> that lake got fucked. That's why. Um, oh, my God. There's an what? article online, CNT, cntraveler.com uh-huh. backslash stories. It's by Ken Jennings. Is it the same Ken Jennings from Jeopardy? I don't. He's like the mass winner of Jeopardy. I wonder if it's the same Ken Jennings. Oh my God. It was published in 2016. So I was like, okay, here's a really recent article. Yeah. But I'm trying to see like, what's, what's up now? Like, like Penure, where are they now? You know, every time I, well, I just did quick kind of thing. A lot of it was just a summary of what happened. Yeah. Uh, it's, it kind of looks like the same. Yeah, because yeah. I might have looked over that, but it's like I kept adding references and it got to the point where I I was just pulling references for extra information of uh, yeah. different things. There, that pretty there's much fell no in the like, hole. how are they now? It doesn't really yeah. tell you, but like it just kind of is like, I'm just, is this the real Ken Jennings? Is this you? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like you, in all of that, man. <laughs> if you he was like the all time winner of Jeopardy. That was the guy that kept winning, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who broke the like cap. Um, so if you drive to the lake, most of it's private property around it, but there is an entrance where you can go and see the chimney essentially. Um, that is really cool. That is what did I write down? Oh. <laughs> the chimney poking out of the lake is what remains of that home that was sunk in as a reminder of the disaster. And also yeah. looks like a dildo. <laughs> also looks like a dildo. Because we're very mature. Because I so, have the maturity of a five-year-old. <laughs> that is Lake Premier. That like, it was quick. Okay, I wasn't sure. I'm gonna hit my quick. mic and then clap because yeah. I just totally hit um, my mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm glad somebody told me about this, and I Yay. stumbled upon it later. It's. I really think it's really cool how you found out about it. Yeah, but like somebody was like, "Oh my god, have you heard of this?" And you're like, "Wait, yeah. what?" That's amazing. It was after I told him I did a disaster podcast, and then we started talking about the Hyatt Walkway and Tacoma so Bridge. Cool. He's an engineering student. I remember that, so I knew that he knew about some of this stuff. Awesome. Also, yeah. awesome. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Did you get his right. name? I Probably, but now I forgot. I talked to a lot of people <laughs> that day. Wah, wah. 
Well, well, I would like to cite my friend that I've just met. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for giving me your disaster. Dude, this was a fun one. I really liked this. This was. It was informative. It was amazing. Um, You guys, Bree and I are going to make sure that um, all of that information from Mark Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Mark, thank you so much for appearing on our podcast today. Um, that all the information is available. If you would like to donate or help or in some way, uh, contribute to, um, assisting, uh, people in Haiti, we're going to make sure you have that information. Um, and yeah, um, this is great. This is so nice. I'm almost getting back in the flow again after so long. I know. I it was know. really rocky in the beginning there. Even reading, reading's hard. Reading is hard (laughs) and I have, I don't know what to do with my hands. As a side note, I forgot when or where I did it, but I did that giggle, the like (laughs) thing. (laughs) And it was. I have the bird cackle. I've got the Trixie Mattel bird cackle. I love it. (laughs) I don't know what mine is, but it's like an up in the down, down, down waterfall of giggles. I don't know, but I do it every so often. (laughs) And I forgot, I think I was in a class and I did it and everyone kind of looked at me and started giggling. (laughs) And you're like, thank you. I have a podcast. I have a podcast. <laughs> Please listen to my laughs all the Please time listen. on the podcast. Here you go. Uh, guys, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor. Shit, where I else? Radio. I yeah. I mean, you we're can like find everywhere. If you have an Alexa, you can go, Alexa, play a particularly dangerous situation. Do, no, do, do, no, do, do, no, do, 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 uh, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> so you can hang out with us on those places. We'd love if you shared us with a friend. Yeah. Share with a friend, guys. Pass it on. If oh, you want to be on our actually, street team, let us know. AJ, AJ showed me last week. He took a picture of Kyle uh, in Tawanda. Actually, he's in, he's in Wild Loosing. So shout mm. out to Kyle in uh, Wild Loosing, PA, for listening to our podcast. He said it was <gasps> great. So yay. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yay. Yeah, yeah. So um, guys, you know, if you like us and you leave us a review, we'll give you a shout out. Oh, yeah. shit. So oh, yeah. yeah, do that thing. I we love you. I should read one real quick. Michelle, the cornfield meat actually, or also known as MJ, actually left us a really sweet review. Um, subject line is a five-star review, of course. Subject line is, yes, another pod. <clears throat> yes, another disaster pod, explanation mark. Um, Brie and Brett crack me up. For topics I'm already deeply interested in, I was excited to come across another disaster podcast. Brie and I had a lovely conversation, and I look forward to following these two wonderful ladies as they continue to grow their audience. MJ of the Cornfield Meat Podcast. Aw, thank you so much. That was sweet. I actually have no idea where to look for reviews. So it would be, it's an Apple podcast. That's the only place that they have the reviews. Oh, that's it? Okay. Yeah. Was that the most recent? The most recent is from another podcast called Your New Best Friends Podcast from Tabby. Oh. That was a weird one. She like messaged me on Twitter. I was like, hey, we left you a five-star rating. If you want to rate our podcast. I was like, oh, so you just kind of write. Because it says, love this show. Always keeps me interested and always look forward to new episodes. I mean, I'm not going to cry about it. I mean, I'm okay with having a five-star, but it's not as good. It's not the one I wanted. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. We love you guys. Like my husband that left a podcast. (laughs) Anyway, guys, we're going to continue to give you more info on all the disasters, natural and man-made in the world. 
that we find fascinating and think you might find them too. So yes, please Three, four continue months, get to listen. Month. Yeah. yeah, at least. Yeah, maybe more if we feel like. I'm it. hoping to do some bonuses when we get to, <gasps> like the one that we recorded that I still need to edit. Love bonus boners. Me, <laughs> you're just all about the boners and dildos all today. About the boners, I know. Sometimes I have. Missing. I don't know where. I feel really bad for whoever <laughs> listens to the end of this episode because it's gonna be the. Uh, Alexa thing. <laughs> Alexa. I don't know. I guess what we could say was those three words that we tell everyone to do. <gasps> Duck, Duck and, and cover. Cover. Bitches. <laughs> Bye. I actually don't know our music. It does it. Volume five. Alexa, volume five. <laughs> command. Command. I think my my I think my Alexa started playing it. That's why. Oh nice. I have to set up my Google Home. Alexa, play particularly dangerous situation. You have to bring her over to the mic so we can hear her. No. Nope. <laughs> Alexa, stop. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. That's us guys. That's us. That's me. That's my part-time gig. Let me try that one more time. Alexa, (laughs) play particularly dangerous situation on iTunes podcast. (laughs) Oh, you're an asshole. You're an asshole, Alexa. Alexa, play particularly dangerous situation on Apple podcast. Here's the cult of domesticity from Apple Podcasts. Continuing the latest episode, <laughs> 97 the wolf found the murder. You can keep this in here Alexa, play Particularly Dangerous Situation on Apple Podcasts. Playing Particularly Dangerous Situation from Apple Podcasts. Here's where you left off in the episode, 016. I wasn't listening to my own podcast. Cornfield Meat Crossover. Yeah! Cornfield meat crossover, guys. What? What? Okay, that was awesome. Tell her to stop. Except now it's not playing, but yeah. No. Um, All right, awesome. I'm gonna put that on the end. <laughs> I'm not gonna keep that during that part. Yes, uh, that was great. Oh,